the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, The Finance Coast and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. Welcome to episode 62 of Magic Markets. It almost didn't happen because I've been pretty horribly ill today, but here we are. I dragged myself out of bed because of our guest mainly. Sorry, Mo, not because of you. Uh, to give you an idea of our guest, Mo even put a shirt on with a collar as opposed to the usual hoodie and t-shirt and everything else I normally have to look at while he's there in Canada. So, uh, Mo, I'm going to welcome our guest first and then you can say hello. And that is Andres van Heerden of Afrimat. Thank you, sir, for making uh, time on your Tuesday night to come and speak to us, but mainly to speak to the Magic Markets listeners. Only a pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's really our pleasure. Mo, welcome as well. I mean, you have to be here, but here you are. It's exciting. Yeah, ghost. Uh, for 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 a little while, I thought I was going to be the only one hosting the show with uh, with Andres. So uh, I hope you feel a lot better after this. But uh, you know, let's go back to our guest. You know, Andres. I think it's a, it's an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Uh, and in fact, you know, when we lined this up, Ghost said, you know, we're going to have Andres on. He's the CEO of Afrimat. And it's a very exciting story. And, you know, I want to unpack that for our listeners, not just because, you know, your stock has really done phenomenally well, but also because it ties so nicely into a lot of the major themes that we have been discussing uh, here at Magic Markets. And in fact, you know, I'm going to jump right in, Ghost, if you let me do that. You know, I think, you know, into Afrimat, you know, maybe as a starting off point, before we even go into how it ties into some of the themes we've been speaking about, I'm not sure if our listeners are all familiar with who Afrimat is. So maybe, Andres, if you can just take us through who is Afrimat, you know, what's the role you kind of play in? Uh, I'm certainly familiar with it, but I think it's much better coming from you in terms of just acclimating our listeners to uh, to some of the who, what, how, and why. Oh, Mo, thank you. Um, yeah, Afrimat's a company that we formed in 2006 when we merged two companies, one that I co-owned called Lancaster and another company that I worked for previously called Prima Quarries. And they were uh, focused primarily in the construction material space. Um, and over the years, we've diversified from, from pure construction materials after the uh, 2008 crisis. And actually, after 2010, we realized that construction was in for hard times and then we diversified firstly into industrial minerals and bought a few assets in that space and then we in 2015 we entered the bulk commodity space and we bought uh, an iron ore mine and we've subsequently bought some more iron ore assets um, and we bought a, an, Inkuma, an Inkumati which is an anthracite mine so what we are now is, you know, we would like to think of ourselves as a mid-tier mining company that focuses on, on uh, mid-tier mining assets in, in Southern Africa. So that's a very short, short summary of what we're trying to do. Yeah, thanks for that. I mean, I, and I think that's one of the key points is that Afrimat maybe started out 
historically in the building and construction kind of sector. And that's, that's the, you know, if, if I look at the evolution of Afrimat as a business, that's really, I think, one of the key selling points for me personally is that it's almost as though you've de-risked the business through your diversification strategy. And the point I want to kind of tie in is we've kind of gone through this phase where certainly in the latter part of last year, resources, commodities in general, all seem to have done exceptionally well. Now, you've mentioned iron ore specifically, and I think you know your business has almost become synonymous with iron ore, certainly in the South African market, but it's more than that. And so I almost want to touch on a point there in terms of saying, you know, mining is cyclical. You've looked at diversification and how you can actually try and mitigate against some of that cyclicality that you're picking up in the business. But also at the end of the day, it's a supply and demand story. And demand is very much driven out of largely China, but there's some big macro tailwinds uh, in that, for example, in the US, there's the whole build back better. In Europe, there's the whole European gateway. And that all talks to massive infrastructure investment. And that's really good for some of the commodity verticals that you're operating in. So, you know, maybe take us through, you know, your thinking from a cyclicality perspective and how Afrimat has worked or how you view your diversification in terms of your current portfolio mix. I think uh, if you look from an Afrimat perspective, you know, as I said, we started in construction materials. And if you want to see a a cyclical business, you must have you must own a single quarry somewhere in a small town. Um, And... And we learned over the years that owning a, a good portfolio of these assets on a micro level almost gave us a, that, that diversification to, uh, you know, to smooth it out. But then we realized when, when we started with, uh, to reach a certain critical mass, we had to f- find some other um, avenues of, of growth which, which had a, a different cycle. And that's when we went into uh, industrial minerals and then we realized at one stage that the the South Africa we were 100% exposed to the South African rand to the South African economy, and uh, pretty much just after Nenegate, we realized that it's becoming critical for us to to diversify away from that, and and that's when we went into into iron ore. Now iron ore has a completely different cycle to our South African construction industry, and and given where iron ore prices have gone, it's actually become quite a big driver in our in our business, but uh, it also gave us a lot of cash, and uh, I'm sure we can talk about some of the latest investments we, we, we've done just now, but it's given us a position to prepare us for, for different avenues, and, and, the, and the trick is it's pretty much like an investment portfolio, having uh, quite a number of different assets, some of them will peak at different, uh, you know, peak uh, when, when others are in a trough, right now construction is in a little bit of a trough. But uh, iron ore is in, is in a peak, industrial minerals are stable, and all in all, it gives us a, a very good balance. And as you say, a lot of investors think of us as an iron ore business because iron ore is doing very well right now. But who knows, two years from now, manganese or anthracite might be doing. If you look what coal prices have been doing recently, maybe next year this time, uh, investors will think of us as a coal business. <laughs> so, so that's our plan. We, we want to have something that can drive in front while everything else is just sort of waiting for the storm to pass. Yeah, maybe I can jump in there. When, when Andres talks about critical mass, he's not talking about, you know, your wait between Christmas and New Year. He's talking about becoming a business of scale that is uh, big enough to, to be serious and to be covering its costs and making, you know, economically attractive returns. And it's not an easy thing to achieve. I mean, my background is in corporate finance. I advise a lot of companies that would dream of even half the journey that Afrimat has been on 
uh, over the past decade. I mean, it was called the lost decade in South Africa, but not when you look at an AfriMat share price. You guys managed to do a share price CAGR of like over 22%, which is absolutely extraordinary anywhere in the world. You know, it really is remarkable. And you've given some of the insights there into how you've done that. You know, lots of small plays that sort of when one's doing well, one isn't doing well. It sounds a bit like my investment portfolio, actually. I often have these conversations online. Some people want highly concentrated portfolios with five stocks. And then it's not so lacquer when one is PayPal and, you know, the other one is, is Meta. Uh, I personally like to have a lot of stocks. And, and, and Andres, is this, you know, your business is essentially a listed version of that, but in the mining space. But I guess you've had some big scares along the way. Every business must have. And I was wondering, over this journey, what stands out for you as a really big challenge? Like, when were you not sleeping at night? Oh, that was, uh, you know, that's uh, after the 2008 crisis. You know, we listed in 2006. The share price uh, ran very quickly. We listed at 5 Rand, and within a couple of months, we were at 10 Rand. And then... Uh, Basically, when, when the uh, National Credit Act was announced in 2007, that's when the, the party uh, was over and construction stocks started uh, pulling back and we started a decline and then the crisis hit in 2008. And so over a 14-month period, we ran from 10 rand 50 all, all the way down to 1 rand 60. By the way, one of my friends bought at 1 rand 70 and he still owns the stock today, so <laughs> he's smiling. But the, uh, that period... Of, of solid decline and there was absolutely nothing that we could do as a management team to stop that decline. That was the worst time of my life and you know from the day we dropped through 10 Rand on our way down until the day we, we went through 10 Rand on our way up, that was six years and the company that went to, through 10 Rand six years later was a significantly stronger, better company but I can tell you, those of you that can see, see my picture, I don't have a lot of hair left. And, but I, in 2008, I had a full head of hair. Um, it, was a, it was a tough, tough period. That's also where we talk about how a crisis creates opportunities for investors. You know, to spot a business like yours, and, and I'm sure it was harder to spot at the time, as you point out, it was a much stronger business six years later. But, you know, those of you who bought the dip, to use the classic term, if you buy the right dips, it can be a once-in-a-generation opportunity to create wealth, you know, a little bit like if you bought Sasol in March 2020, these crazy dislocations, if you can get them right, you can make a killing. Yeah, I almost want to jump in there because I, I want to know, you know, how much of that lesson or those lessons you learned in the financial crisis have really carried forward in terms of how you're running AfriMet today? And I'll tell you where I go with this question is that if I look at AfriMet, you know, your, your balance sheet is in great shape. You guys don't carry a lot of gearing. I mean, and the reason I raise this is that mining companies generally are these massively leveraged entities that play in massively cyclical markets. And so they whipsaw all over the place. I mean, we've had a discussion on the show just in terms of commodities investing in general and why, for example, I always like or prefer a pure play on a commodity rather than some of the mining stocks that are out there, simply because that leverage, both operational and financial, introduces so much volatility. Now, Afrimat is almost the opposite or the antithesis to that, in that you've diversified your portfolio, we've touched on that, but you've also gone about it in a very conservative manner. I mean, you've gone, you've really organically grown your business off your own balance sheet. And how much of that is tied to those lessons you learned in the financial crisis? Because I remember back then, you know, companies saw their share prices obliterated overnight. If you weren't in a healthy position, your debt covenants all shot through the roof, your bankers were knocking 
banging on the door. And it was really a terrible, terrible time, both for companies as well as I was on the other side. I was the banker. And, you know, you're calling your clients who are going out of business. Maybe talk to us a little bit about your approach towards that conservative expansion. Mo, you mistake it back before the crisis. I lived through this. I, I, I started in, in the quarrying industry in, in the early 2000, 2001. In that period, we also had quite a tough time and it was a relatively small private company. And I realized, you know, I can still remember one day arriving at work where the whole truck fleet was standing in the yard. We didn't have one single order for that day. And so, so we've had those scary days. And and that made us very, very conservative with our balance sheet. And that served us well in the 2008 crisis. We also went in there with a very, very strong balance sheet. And we just came out of, a, out of almost like a feeding frenzy in, the, you know, in 2006, 2007. Just about anything that looked like construction could be listed. And the guys were making deals at exorbitant prices. And at the time, we were sitting on our hands and we just could not justify paying that amount for, for any acquisition. That served us very well because then, you know, as the crisis hit, we bought assets at absolute bargain prices. You know, we bought assets that sometimes I, I still think, you know, how did that happen? But it was because we had such a, a strong balance sheet. And I, and I think it comes from the days where, you know, we, we ran the, our own businesses. There's a story that I won't bore you with now that I at one stage wanted to go and sell my car to fix a crusher. So, you know, if you if you run a business, you know, with absolutely no backing other than you know, your own balance sheet, uh, you learn to become very conservative. And uh, and we never actually took advice from, you know, from the clever guys that advise uh, people to leverage a balance sheet and and all those fancy things. You know, we, we take a, a, a low risk approach. In other words, us, Mo. Doesn't take advice from guys like us, and that's the secret. That's what I'm. That's what I'm hearing there. I love that story about the crusher. I, every entrepreneur I meet who has really achieved something spectacular has this near-death experience story of it very nearly all fell over, often more than once. People from the outside just don't understand what goes into building something like this, and it's only when you've tried to build one or you've met people who have, then you understand, and then you, and then you have immense respect for what's actually been achieved. Yeah, I, I, I want to jump in here, Ghost, because, I mean, to that point, I think, you know, if, if you look at Andres and myself, I think, you know, the hair game is very similar. Both Andres and I don't have any. And I think there's there's almost this 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 trend or theme that I pick up is, you no, know, I always get a lot of flack in terms of that risk aversion and preferring very strong balance sheets and not needing to kind of be out there with your your your, your banging bold in hand. So that for me really resonates in terms of the Afrimat story. I want to get into the nuts and bolts of the business. And specifically, I want to talk about manganese because you guys have made a reasonably large manganese acquisition. It goes into your bulk commodities business. Bulk commodities is really where all of the action has been for you guys recently. Now, the reason I want to focus on manganese is that it's one of those commodities that not a lot of people know about. You know, you're not going to go out and easily find a futures contract where manganese is traded. Uh, a lot of people, I mean, I, my very limited knowledge here is that it's used in steel manufacture, it's used in ceramics, and so it's very important in terms of some of that pro-cyclicality on infrastructure investment globally. But also what fascinated me is that South Africa sits on the lion's share of global reserves of manganese. And arguably, if you are building a strong competency in that space, that makes you more than just a mid-tier miner. It makes you a global producer and exporter of some significance. So maybe talk to us about your strategic thinking around manganese. I think there's a couple of things in, at play here. The first thing is, geographically, this is in the Northern Cape, not far from Otterzel, which is not far from Katu, where we have a very, very strong, competent team 
that have built our iron ore assets, but they, they also have experience in manganese. Secondly, we, it's an open pit deposit that we can mine open pit, and it is really of a superior quality. A big part of that ore body, according to the geological information that we have, is a 42% uh, com- uh, manganese content ore, which is extremely high. It's a it's a very high quality. You know, I'm not. I, I don't get too excited about some of the things people say, but uh, you know, if people make comments that it, you know it's going to it'll work well as a battery mineral and things like that. The manganese market is also uh, cyclical, just like the iron ore market. That it tends to be counter cyclical, which is quite strange. But the the you know, if we look at the the, the graph over time, the Graphs are tightly, uh, slightly out of sync, which is a good thing. And given our quarryman approach almost, where we go in and we manage to get a really low cost, very basic almost approach to our mines, in our models, this is an extremely attractive uh, acquisition. You made the comment that it's quite a, quite a big acquisition for us. It is, but you must also remember that Afrimat, as we speak, is extremely cash generative. And you know we should be able to fund that off our balance sheet with relatively ease without stretching our balance sheet very far. So it's a it's a fundable project. It's operationally very uh, very attractive for us. Uh, the the quality of that specific uh, ore body is 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 a, a rare find in our view. And then lastly, the market international market and the international market price. We believe that through the cycle we should be able to do really really well out of it. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I mean, I'm going to jump in again, Ghost, if you'll let me, because I, I want to almost unpack one of the points there that, that Andres brought up, and that is the open pit mining. So, you know, open pit is a lot cheaper than going underground. Absolutely. But then there's also mining rehabilitation. And, you know, from a rehabilitation perspective, my understanding is that open pit could be a lot more expensive once your life of mine runs out. Now, I understand that your life of mine on that is really quite long, and so you'd probably be able to easily provide or make a provision for that rehabilitation. But maybe just talk to us about Afrimat's approach to the environmental aspect, especially the mining rehabilitation, which does get a lot of focus in South Africa, specifically relative to some other global jurisdictions. I think in terms of what we try to do with Afrimat, we always say we we try to deliver excellence with integrity. And if you look at the environmental aspect of, of, of the business, open pit mining, as you say, you know, when you dig a big hole in the ground, and you remove a whole lot of material, that, you know, that, that hole will be there permanently. You can't fill it up again because you'll have to go and dig, dig a hole somewhere else to fill up. So that won't work. So it is important. It is, but, but it is important to manage your, where I, I maybe differ from you a little bit, you cannot postpone your rehabilitation to the end of the life of mine and hope and say, well, you know, there was a lot of people in the old days that did exactly that and said, well, you know, one day somebody will worry about that, but that's not us. Afrimat has a different approach. So we mine with the end in, in mind. So we, we have a plan where we start right from the day one and decide how we're going to end this mine one day and make sure that your, your dumps are done in such a way that, that you, can, uh, you can blend it into the environment, that the vegetation is done according to, to you know, what is good practices in that specific area, that water management is done properly. So it is a, unfortunately, open pit mining does have a, 
does leave a bit of a scar. But the point is, if you do it properly, you can really you know, make a, a big difference. And in many of the cases, for instance, in uh, in Gauteng, we have uh, Baz Lake is one of the mined out quarries that we own. You know, so fill it up with water, and it becomes a, a very nice uh, feature in that in that area. But it's actually an old mine. So the point is, be responsible and and work with the end in mind. Andres, maybe one more question from my side. And I think that's fantastic. I mean, that's how these waterfronts kind of pop up out of nowhere. So it's almost like a, so you're almost in the uh, the hotel and recreation business, actually. That's almost the end result. Another business that you are in is these vermiculite deposits. And I must be honest, I'm the furthest thing from a geologist. So, you know, I often read this stuff on SENS and I haven't got a clue what it is. And I'm definitely not alone in that. And obviously Google is your friend, but hearing it firsthand is even nicer. Uh, you know, having spoken about manganese, perhaps we could just touch on that. And, and, and that probably brings us to the end of the show. Yeah, the, the vermiculite acid, uh, deposit is actually a very small part of the Glenover acid that we bought at the end of last year. And the big, the big draw uh, in, in Glenover is actually the, the combination of phosphate and rare earths that, that occurs in, in, in combination in that, in, the, in, in that mine. And that's the real value. So, but the vermiculite, funny enough, is on the side of that property. It's a slightly different deposit. It's a, it's a mineral that's being used either in the construction space, for, for instance, for... Uh, um, uh, fire retardant panels and things like that. It's a fire retardant material. It's a flaky type material. All the horticulturists use it uh, when they with, with pot plants and things like that. But the big use for that is actually in the building construction space, for uh, especially internationally, where uh, where panels, where where uh, timber buildings and stuff are being built, and then they make the panels uh, out of this to keep it fire retarded. Thanks, Andres. I mean, that, that's fascinating. I, I mean, I've certainly learned a lot. And it's always, for me, you know, so sad that we, we, we're so constrained on time. Unfortunately, we always feel as though we've just scratched beneath the surface on this one. Uh, I certainly have learned a lot. I mean, I, I did not know what vermiculite is. And, uh, you know, I'm in a country where everything's built out of timber. We, my wife always laughs and says, you know, they don't build houses in Canada the way they build houses down in South Africa. Uh, but I have little doubt that uh, some of your vermiculite has definitely found its way up into what has been a booming construction sector up here in North America. I mean, stuff I'd love to have touched on if we had more time was just how you see, you know, globally, your customer base, China, the US, Europe, uh, evolving over time. Uh, maybe just as a parting point, I'm going to sneak that one in there. Ghost is going to be upset with me but i want to i want to sneak that in you know how are you seeing your customers where do you see the opportunities your production base is south africa your customers largely are export orientated uh, the new kind of moving the needle component has been domestic but how do you see the customer playing field at the moment our, our focus is south africa and china with especially with our latest acquisitions with the glenover products we see a much larger uh, component going into europe and to, in, into the united states Especially with the rare earths, there's a big demand in Europe and in, in, the, in North America for rare earths and to decouple them from the Chinese supply. So over time, that is our, our strategy to also diversify our, our, our currency exposure to more than just the, the or economic exposure rather to more than just the Chinese economy, but 
but also to some of the, the other first world countries. Yeah, fantastic. Andres, thanks so much. I mean, that's all from my side. I'm very glad Ghost didn't shoot me down on my last question. But from my side, thanks so much for joining us. It's been enlightening, very exciting. And, you know, from Magic Markets, I just, I'd like to continue wishing you the best of luck in terms of growing your company the way you guys have done. And uh, hopefully the, the, they always say the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Uh, and if we are to use your share price as a gauge of that, uh, again, I think a feather in, in your cap. I mean, we're not here to just necessarily, you know, say, ah, you know what, we're going we're gonna to showcase all of these guys. We're here to discuss proper underlying hard business questions. And I think we've done that on the show. So thanks for making the time to, to chat to us and our listeners here on Magic Markets. Ghost, over to you. Yeah, thanks very much, Andres. I'm a shareholder, so please uh, keep it up. It's great to see and thank you for making the time. Fantastic. Thanks, Ghost. Thanks, Mo. Thank you very much. Ciao. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.